standing on promises and they are ours. I hope you've claimed them. Quickly before we get into the message tonight, if you would open your precious Bible tonight to 2 Timothy chapter 4, actually chapter 3, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I'd like to uh, conclude the message I began this morning on just simply the word of God. Uh, but while you're doing that, uh, look, I'm not going to belabor the point. All of you know for since December of 2020, I've had no taste or smell. It's been... Uh, uh, a beautiful journey. Amen. And uh, tomorrow, uh, my doctor has scheduled an MRI to check out some things there. And so I'm just praying that they'll find something. Uh, there might be a reason she feels might be a, a small cyst, maybe um, blocking that nerve up there. And so I'm just asking you to pray with me. We can find out what it is and I can start enjoying food again. Amen. And so that'd be a great blessing. Second Timothy chapter number three. I uh, want you to look, of course, at the text. We're, we started in uh, verse 10 this morning, uh, chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So, you know, that's all kind of a, um, it's kind of a sad story. Um, bad news, kind of. But I'm glad that God doesn't leave us there. And, and this, this writing was to this young preacher. Paul said, but, I love that, but continue thou. Yes, things are going to change. Evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse. Yes, we know that you're going to suffer persecution. Yes, we know that uh, all of these things can befall you as a young preacher, as a young Christian, Timothy. But I want you to continue in what? The things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou have learned them. And then also, uh, and that from a child... Hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished in all good works. Now, keep in mind, this little epistle was written to a preacher. It happens to be Timothy. But that last verse, the application, could be, made, could be made to all Christians. It matures us. The Word of God matures us. It prepares us. We, we'll talk about that maybe tonight. But I want to just continue to look at the thought of just the Word of God. This is no ordinary book. This is the Bible. And this is a no ordinary book because we talked about it this morning. The revelation. God reveals Himself through this book. And uh, we were talking at lunch today, and Jenna had said something about, uh, you know, it's quite something to make yourself vulnerable to someone. When you start uh, revealing your heart to someone, when you, when you love somebody, and you're revealing your heart to them, and they're revealing their heart to you, and you really get to know someone, that takes vulnerability to do that. Because we're always afraid of how someone will receive that. But God... I don't want to really use the word vulnerable, but he may, he revealed himself to us through the word of God in a very intimate way. We can know God in a very special way through the word of God. 
There are so many people that look at the Bible like, oh, it's a bunch of do's and don'ts. No, God's revealing himself to us. And we would not know him like this unless he revealed himself through this book. So we talk about the purpose of the book. The purpose of the Bible is to reveal himself. The purpose of the Bible is so that people can be saved. We find that right here in this passage. He said that from a child that has fully known uh, the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise in the salvation. The Word of God. Without the Word of God, none of us would realize that we're in need of a Savior. So we understand the Bible's purpose is to see people say, we understand that it reveals who God is, what His work is, and what His will is for us. So there's a wonderful purpose. Then we talked about, in verse number 14 and verse 15, the purpose of God's Word is for us to, to grow, to mature. If you sent a child to school for 12 years and they never matured, never grew, something would be wrong. Well, when someone's a Christian, something's abnormal about a Christian that never grows. And that only tells me or you one of two things. Number one, they're not saved. Or number two, they're not reading the Bible. They're not letting the Bible speak to them because God says that once you get saved, you enter into this relationship, but you want to grow. You want to be sanctified. You want to continue to grow and mature in the Lord. And the Bible's purpose is to mature us. So we see the purpose. This tonight, let's look at the person. The person of Scripture. Look at verse 15. And that from a child that has known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise in salvation, what? Through faith, which is... In Christ Jesus. See, the Bible has much to say about so many people. I mean, I want you to go back through me with the history of the Bible. Look at the patriarchs. It tells us a little bit about Abraham. It tells us about Isaac. It tells us about Jacob. There's no doubt. We learn a lot about a lot of people through history. But also we find great leaders. God tells us about Moses. He, he reveals to us who Joshua was. and He, 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 he tells us Samuel, the prophet, uh, great prophet, uh, he, 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 he gave us uh, insight on some of the judges. Uh, he, he told us about David. These are great leaders. And so the Bible reveals all of these people. And then think about the prophets. God reveals the different uh, personalities of the great prophets. Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. I mean, God reveals so much about these people in the word of God. Great heroes of the faith. The New Testament preachers. God tells us a lot in the word of God. We learn a lot about Paul right here from this book. How he pours his heart out to this young preacher. We read about other great preachers. Peter that stood on the day of Pentecost. And you know we can relate to Peter. He's the same one that cut that soldier's ear off. By the way he wasn't aiming for his ear. We learn a lot about a lot of people in this book. But I'm going to tell you something right now. We learn about a great women in the Bible. Could you imagine if the women in the Bible were not in here, how skinny our Bible would be? Hannah's and Ruth's. I mean, wonderful women that have great testimonies. And God has revealed all of these heroes of the faith. But let me just tell you something tonight. They are not the focus of this book. They are merely a part of the book, but I want you to know tonight, the Lord Jesus Christ is the focus of this book. You cut this book anywhere and it bleeds. It is telling us the story and the unfolding drama of redemption. 
The Lord Jesus Christ, I learned in Bible college, and I didn't really have to learn this in Bible college, but my, my homiletics professor told me, boys, if you ever get in trouble, if you ever get lost, he said, just run to Jesus Christ. That's where you ought to be preaching. That's who you ought to be uplifting. That's who you ought to be talking about anyway. Why? Because this book is about Him. If you read this book and don't see Jesus, you ain't reading it right. <laughs> I want you to know something. They all, everyone you learn about in this book, they point you to the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the focus of the Bible. He is the main character. We find him in the garden of, of, of Eden in Genesis 3.15 when he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. He's found. That's the first promise of the gospel in Genesis 3.15. That little phrase is called the protovangelum. The first promise of Jesus Christ was in Genesis chapter 3.15. He is the Alpha. He is the beginning. But I want you to know something. If you would go all the way to the book of Revelation, to the very last chapter, chapter 22, verse 20, here's what the Bible says. He would testify these things, saying, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The Bible begins with the Lord Jesus Christ. It ends with the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything in between is about Him too. The focus of this book is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is written about Him. It is no ordinary book. It is the Him book. The H-I-M book. Not the H-I-M book. We have Him books and I like our Him books. But I want you to know something. Yes, we have Him books. But I praise God we have the H-I-M book. Why? He's the focus. We ought to exalt. The Bible was given to reveal and exalt Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son. The Redeemer of the world. This book is about Jesus Christ. He's the person of the book. Can I say the perfection of the book? Look at verse 16. The Bible says all scripture. Not some. Not a few. All. A-L-L. -L, very clear. Did God say what he meant? Meant what he said? Absolutely. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Now we can look at a lot of things, but I want you to know all scripture, not some of it, not even a portion of it, not even most of it. The Bible says was given by inspiration of God. Now what does that literally mean? I know many of you know this, but literally what that means, inspiration, is God breathed it. It did not originate with man, although they were the penmen. It originated with God. If God did not breathe it, we would not know it. And I want you to know something tonight. God breathed. God gave His Word as it pleased Him through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Second Peter tells us, knowing this first. That no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time. By the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Can I say we do not possess a portion of God's word. We possess God's word. It's very important. We have the God brief, infallible, eternal word of God. Now listen to me. If I did not believe that tonight. 
and we have no God-breathed book, we have no inspiration of Scripture, I'm going to tell you all something right now. What in the world am I doing here tonight? I have no confidence within myself to bring you word tonight if I don't have God's infallible word. If I did not believe this book, we're wasting our time. I'm going to tell you where that really hit me as a young preacher. Young, right out of Bible college, didn't know much. Serving the Lord in West Virginia. And there was a gentleman there that had pastored for a long time. And he had all these DDTs. And he had all this education behind his name. And, and we were supporting the school. And we were struggling with some things there. So Pastor and I, and if y'all know Pastor Altizer, he's, he's country's cornbread. But I'm going to tell you one thing about Pastor Altizer. He's been faithful for over 40 years. He's pastored the same church for 30 years. That says a lot about Pastor Altizer. Says a lot about that church too. And he might not, uh, he might not ever went to Bible college, but I'm going to tell you something right now. He knows and he had a conviction to stand on the word of God. And we felt like there was a little bit of an issue there. And so very kindly, we asked this man to go to Wendy's and we took him to a real expensive lunch. Somebody say amen. And we just had some questions for him. And I'll never forget as a young preacher what that man said to me. I'll never forgot it. And I'm sitting there with my mouth trying to keep it from dropped open. And this guy, this man looked at us in that, in that room that day. And he said, listen, he said, can we ever, can any of us really say that we really truly have the best copy of the word of God? Now, I, I'm young. I'm 20, what, 26, 27 years of age. And I'm sitting there going, my soul, if I felt that way, I wouldn't even waste people's time to get up and preach. Because if I don't believe that this is not the word of God, I'm wasting your time. Do I believe that we can have a better copy of the word of God? Look at me. No. This is God's word. I'm trusting his promise on it. It's inspired. And not only inspired, we can talk about another doctrine of the Word of God. And we can look at that. I read it earlier this morning. But in the Bible says in Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now we talked about inspiration. God breathed His Word. But then we have to really have another doctrine. We really have to have another truth. Once we have received truth, once it's been recorded, once it's been inspired, it comes from God. Then here's what God says. He does not keep the limits of that or the ability of that word being kept on man. He says, oh no, that's too big of a job for man to keep. He says, I'm going to put another promise down there. And I'm going to say, once I've inspired it, here's what I'll do. I'll preserve it. I'll keep it. So my faith is not in a man or a woman or anybody even transcribing or even writing down the word of God. My faith is in God keeping his word preserved. Preservation. He's preserved it. By the way, that every generation means yours and mine. And that means every generation for us. And that means every generation after us. That means it's settled in heaven. I want you to know God's word is perfect. You say, oh, Pastor, you're awful adamant about it. Absolutely. Do you know I've based my whole life on this book? I really have. And by the way, you're saved tonight. You're trusting every bit of your salvation on this book tonight. Every bit of it. 
And some people say to me all the time, well, I'll just tell you right now, I just can't believe anything I can't see. Well, you know, that's not true. I've said this a thousand times. How many people jump in their car and go and look at the spark plugs? How many people check the brakes? How many people check the, the gas lines, make sure everything's okay? Now, I'm going to tell you what people do. They jump in that car by faith, get in it, and drive in a car that they really don't know for sure is ready to drive. Is anybody in here tonight, y'all check your brakes before you get in and drive it every time? Well, you know what you're doing? Then you're putting faith in brakes you didn't see. You say, Pastor, is that important? Yes, yeah, pretty important. When you're in Africa, it's real important. <laughs> I was with Obadiah and some of our national missionaries. We've been driving all day long. We go up in the coffee country. I mean, we go up some of these back roads, make West Virginia look like Chattanooga. I mean, these roads were four-wheel drive roads. And it's kind of funny, I made a little joke with Jonathan, but you know, I shouldn't complain because one of the men we took on this six-hour trip, and I'm serious, he sat in the back on a metal hump, and the, 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 the top was so low, he couldn't even sit up straight. He sat like this for six hours on him roads. And I'm sitting back there, and I'm just going to be honest with you, I'm not trying to be ugly, but there was a metal bar. A metal bar right there where I sat, and I couldn't offer the life of me to get cut. For two days, I hurt because of that metal bar, six hours driving. And we get up on top of this mountain, and they started talking in Swahili. Now, they can speak in English. So I knew. I said, something ain't right. Why are they trying to keep me from knowing what they're saying? I said, all right now, Obadiah. I said, what's going on? He said, oh, no problem. He kept saying, oh, no problem. Hakuna Matata. He kept going. I said, well, I know that means. I said, no problem, Brother Mark. No problem. We keep driving down the road. We're going down these mountains. And by the time they keep talking, I can see he's getting nervous. And I said, no, Obadiah, tell me the truth. He said, well, we're out of brakes. I said, well, that's a problem. That don't make me feel good. I mean, that's a problem. But I want you to know something. I have complete confidence in the word of God. The perfection of the scriptures. Why? It's been inspired. It's been preserved. Some likely wonder, why am I so adamant about God's word? Why do I stand on it as I do? Why should you stand on it? Why do I believe it's my final authority? Why should you believe that it's your final authority? Because without it, I have no revelation of God and I have no means of salvation. And we either have God's word or we don't. And I am convinced that we do. Now, while we're here, I want to just address a couple of things. I want to talk about literal translation. What does that mean? Well, this is a word for translating. It's carefully translating each Hebrew or Greek word with an English word with the same meaning. Literal translation. This is a word for word translation, carefully translating each Hebrew or Greek word with an English word with the same meaning. But then we also deal with today what is called the dynamic equivalent. This means when translating, they take the main thoughts or phrases from the original text and translate those thoughts into a contemporary English phrase. Then we also have versions of Bible that paraphrases. And these are written in story form and place emphasis on clarity and ease of reading rather than what the text originally said. Now listen... If we were talking about an ordinary book, I wouldn't mind that so bad. But because we are dealing with the inspired, infallible Word of God, I want to know what God says, not what somebody else thinks He said. 
So I'm for literal translation. And I want you to know something here tonight. We, very kindly, we don't get ugly about it. I have never one time gotten ugly. I have never one time gotten in an argument. I have never won. I will not do it. But in our position here at this church, we stand on the King James Version of the Bible. All of our teaching, all of our preaching, all of our, uh, even our memory verses that we teach here throughout the week at our church, through this church, listen to me, that's just our position. So we see person of the book we see the perfection of the book we see the purpose of the book but i want you to notice not only as we continue to look at the perfection look at the instruction of the book look at verse 16 all scriptures given by inspiration of god and it's profitable for doctrine for proof for correction for instruction and in righteousness. just in this verse alone tells us how important the bible is now i want you to think of it with me look at just the words doctrine Profitable for doctrine. What is that? Well, that's a body of belief. Somebody going to believe something. I said this the other day. A communist has a body of beliefs. Look at me. An atheist had a, has a body of beliefs. Everybody has a body of beliefs. Everybody. Everybody has a certain way they believe. The Bible teaches us that our body of beliefs or our doctrine, our principles which we govern our lives by or try or should govern our lives by, we're safe to govern them by the word of God. That's doctrine. It should be the sole authority of what we believe and what we teach here in this church. And I want you to know something, uh, church. We are concerned about staying scriptural here. Are you concerned about your church holding to a body of doctrine that is scriptural? It's important. Especially in this day where we're trading truth for tolerance. Now, I know that it's not real popular to be in a position like we are. And we want to hold to what some people will call the old fundamentals of the faith. But I think it's imperative that we hold to the fundamentals of the faith. But by the way, those fundamentals of the faith are not just getting up and ripping and snorting and calling everybody names and talking about how bad people are. The fundamentals of the faith are knowing how to restore people when they fall. The fundamentals of the faith are knowing how to love somebody when they're not very lovable. The fundamentals of the faith is also being a servant and giving ourselves to others. The fundamentals of the faith is living a life of giving to the Lord Jesus. It's not all about what we figured or thought the fundamentals of the faith was years ago. In other words, there's a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of an attitude of that now. It's all of those people were what? Holier than now. They're the ones that wanted to run off on all them little rabbit trails. And you know, if, you, if your glasses wasn't the right color, if your shirt wasn't the right color, y'all help me a little bit. That's the silliest stuff I've ever heard in my life. And we've hurt so many people down through the years and they've missed some of the greatest fundamentals is that we are to love people like Jesus loves them. Yes, we're supposed to stand for the truth. And yes, sometimes that's not very fun when it's me and it's you or it's your family or it's my family. But we still have to hold to the truth of the word of God. Why? It's our body of belief. It's our doctrine. It's what we teach here. It's what we preach here. But then, reproof. The word of God is profitable for reproof. What is that? That's showing us where we're wrong. Now look, I don't like being told that I'm wrong. 
Can I ask y'all a question? Would y'all just be right up honest with me right here in church? How many of y'all really enjoy being told you're wrong? Because I want y'all to sign my Bible. Hey, gentlemen, let me help y'all with something. Your wife is going to be a Ph.D. And telling you where you can fix things and make them better. Amen. And by the way, you ought to be married to one that will. But can I just help every lady here just a second? You ought to do it in private. You ought to do it in private. Oh, he needs your help. And he needs you to tell him where he did some things wrong. But I can promise you this. Be kind and do it in private. By the way, God says the Bible is profitable for reproof. What is that? It's telling us where we're wrong. I don't like being told where I'm wrong. But I've learned this. I'll never fix anything unless I realize it needs fixed. Now before these uh, mapping, what are they called? You've got them in your cars now. GPSs. Huh. Before them GPS, well, just pull over and ask somebody where you're, huh? Uh-uh. Huh? Never going to admit that I'm lost. And for me to stoop to go in and ask an Exxon, somebody in a gas station, say, hey, can you tell me how to get somewhere? Huh? Uh, ain't happening. I'll drive for 30 minutes before I have somebody tell me I'm wrong. Come on now. Yesterday, the day I took a shortcut and an hour later. My family cringes when I say, we're going to take a shortcut. Because I feel like if we're moving, you know, this interstate's stuck. I'd rather at least be moving. It takes another 30 minutes as long as I'm not stuck in traffic. How many of y'all with me? Appreciate that. Y'all at least right tonight. But I, I say all that to say, I've never enjoyed somebody. To, and you know what? I've been in the ministry a long time. I have never seen anybody when I first come to them and say, hey, let me talk to you about something that needs to be said. I've never seen anyone right off the cuff say, oh, pastor, thank you so much for telling me I was wrong. I've never. And by the way, I've never done that. But I'll tell you what I have done. After I've thought about it and after the Holy Spirit works on me, I've went to people and said, I want you to know I appreciate you being my friend and telling me what I needed to hear even though I didn't want to hear it. See, that's what the Bible does. I can't tell you every time I read the Bible that I like what I read. But God says it's profitable for reproof. Because by the way, if I never know that I'm wrong, I never have a desire to fix it. So the Bible is for reproof. Then I want you to notice that this is lovely, church. Here's the very next word, correction. So here's what God says. He says, I'm going to give you the Bible. I'm going to show you where you're wrong, but here's, here's what I love. But it's also for correction. He says, I'm not going to just show you and point you and kick you down while you're, I'm just not going to kick you while you're down. He said, here's what I'm going to do. When you've messed up, he said, if you keep reading my word, I'll show you how to make it right. Whew, I love that. Don't you love being around people that are wise and they might have to come and talk to you about something that's tough and they might have to tell you something you're wrong. But isn't it so wonderful when someone has enough wisdom to say, now, here's a mistake, but here's what we can do to overcome it. Here's how God can make it better. See, that's what the Word of God does. See, sometimes uh, little old Cora, she rubbed some little places on her foot uh, this, this week, in the beginning of the week. I mean, she had some really rough little spots where her shoes, we didn't realize it, her shoes had rubbed blisters. And the second day, man, we realized how bad those little blisters was. So we went and got her some little things and we put some coverings on them and started doctoring it up. And pretty soon it started to heal. And today they look much better. And I thought about that in, in relation to the word of God. There are times that God, through his word, I'm going to be honest with you, he's put blisters on me. 
He's really put some whoopings on me. He's put some sword spots on me because I've read something that I ain't been doing right, but he just didn't leave them bleeding. He just didn't leave them uncovered. He didn't just leave them with no salve on it. Here's what he does. After he shows us where we're wrong, then he loves us enough to tell us how to get it right. I don't know about you, but that's a loving God. There's some people that are really good at pointing out everybody's faults. And there's some people that are really good at telling about how everybody, how bad they are. But I'm going to tell you right now, God doesn't leave anything uncovered. He says, oh yes, I will correct you. I will reprove you. But he said, I will tell you right now. He said, I will help you get it right. And he does it just right. He loves us, doesn't he? And I know, I, I, I'm going to say this to the church. I love the spirit of our church. You say, Pastor, you know, how do you know? Well, I loved it before the last two years, but I'm going to tell you all something right now. Now, you know, it's one thing to know it because of someone else, but it's a totally different story when it's one of yours. And I'm going to tell you all something right now. I love you for it. Correction and reproof goes hand in hand. There's no use in reproving someone if you don't have the love to try to restore and correct them and help them and love them. And I'm so thankful the word of God is profitable for them. And then it says this, instruction righteous. It just basically says it's dealing with our daily lives. It's teaching us how to live and live for the Lord. I don't know about y'all, but I'm thankful for the Bible. You know what we do around here? We take it too much for granted. We really do. Oh, that's just my Bible. Oh, that's just, that's just the Bible. No, it's God's word to us. Our whole lives depend, our salvation depends on what this book teaches us. How many of y'all tonight are completely trusting Jesus Christ by faith? You've trusted him as your personal savior. You've been convicted of sin and by faith you trusted Christ your personal savior. And he's who you're faith in to get to heaven. How many of y'all believe that? Y'all doing that tonight? Well, let me tell y'all something. Where'd y'all hear that? Where'd y'all get that from? Right here. That's where the good old story came from. You know why? Because God inspired it. God's preserved it to us. And I thank God that we have the word of God. And then as I close, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, and all good work. Now let me just mention this quickly. We understand that Paul is speaking to Timothy, a preacher of the gospel. But every believer, every believer can benefit from the provision of what the scripture provides. What does it provide? Well, it provides us to get help us to get mature. That's what that word mature, that word perfect means. That the man of God may be perfect. Paul's not saying that you can reach some type of spiritual perfection like our friends in another denomination teach us. But rather spiritual maturity. Can I ask you all a question? You ever been around somebody spiritually mature? What's that look like when you're around someone spiritually mature? Can you tell it when you're around them? Can you feed off of them when you're around? Or I'm not being ugly, but have you ever been around someone spiritually immature? How are we going to know? 
How, who's, what's going to help us to discern the thoughts? Now, we don't have to be ugly to people. We don't have to say everything we know. I don't go up to people. So I'll tell you right now, you're one of the most unspiritual people I've ever been around. I've never said that. But I've been around them. And I don't think I've ever went to some of the high tires. And we've got some very spiritually mature people, men and women, in this church. And I mean that. But I've never went up to them and said, oh, I'll tell you right now, you're just a spiritual high tower. We don't always speak what we mean, but I, or speak what we think. But I will say this. Do you know what it means to be mature in the faith? Here's what the Bible says. Rather spiritual maturity. The word perfect has to deal of being complete. Sufficient. Here it is. Entirely qualified. Can I ask every mom and dad something? Do you feel that you're entirely qualified to raise children? I mean, I want y'all to know something. You know, we're older now. We're grandparents. Our children are gone pretty much out of the house. And boy, if I could go back, it'd be a lot of different things, no doubt. But I can say this. Every time you give instruction on the Word of God, you're helping your children to mature. I'm afraid that we have gotten so off kilter of just getting our opinions and our thoughts today. And just because this person thinks this way. And I'm going to tell you something else that I've learned has changed. I'm just going to help all of you here. I've learned people that have had convictions and they've had certain things that they believe. And man, they, they believe that's what the Bible teaches. But it changes when their children get older. Come on now. Come on. Well, then it wasn't a conviction of yours. Was it? And that's what I struggle with with some. Is, is that a convict? Was that right all those years or was it wrong? Did it change just because my family changed? By the way, I'm not saying for any of my family. or not, I love all of my family. I love everybody. But I want you to know something. True convictions don't change no matter who they are. The Word of God, it doesn't mean we have to be ugly about it. That doesn't mean we have to be preaching to people all the time. But I'm just telling you, maturity doesn't change. It doesn't waffle back and forth. They believe the Word of God. They're, they're trying to be mature. They're trying to be completely qualified perfect and the word of God will help perfect us. In other words, help us to be qualified to give the right counsel. I want y'all to know something. I cringe when people walk into my office. I get a little bit of a fear. I get a little bit of an anxiety there because I know there are many times people go come into my office and they're going to ask me a question and I'm going to tell y'all something. I know I'm not qualified. And what I say holds a lot of weight with people. And by the way, what you say holds a lot of weight with people. And we ought to be as qualified as we can before we just give out some kind of flippant answer to somebody. That they could go out here and ruin their life or do something that could hurt them and hurt their family and do something that we can never get back. So you say, Pastor, why are you so adamant about the Word of God? We're safe right here. I'm safe. I'm safe. I know if I give scripture, if I give an answer or a principle or a promise from the word of God, I am safe. I know I'm qualified then. 
It's not just an opinion of mine. It's safe. The Bible says right here that it's through maturity. It's, it's being sufficient, entirely qualified. Timothy would give himself to the Word of God. He would receive everything that he needed to be successful in his calling and to endure the ministry. See, that goes hand in hand with the, really what we talked about earlier today, the sanctification of what the Word does. Then I want you to notice as I close, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Timothy had no need to look any farther than the Word of God. He didn't have to look anywhere else. Nowhere else. He could find all he needed and be equipped for the ministry right here. This is it. I'm going to close with this story. It's a true story. Barney Lord. Some of you have seen his... Barney Lord was a dear, precious man in West Virginia. I met him in West Virginia. He was born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, I've told you this story before, but he was a man that was on Skid Row. He was, his parents died at, a, at an early age. He was put in an orphanage. He lived all the way up to his teen years in the orphanage. And he said every Saturday, and I've never forgotten this. It's always moved my heart. He said every Saturday... They would bring parents in that could not have children and they'd bring them in to this orphanage and they would line all these children up. And he said every Saturday, he said, I, and he would cry telling this story. And he said every Saturday, I'd go get lined up, just couldn't wait. I knew today I was going to get me some parents and some parents was going to pick me today. He said Saturday after Saturday, year after year, he said nobody ever picked me, never said to me, you're going to come home with me today. He said, I got bitter. He said, I got bitter. He said, I got mad. He said, I'm going to tell you right now. He said, I left that orphanage. He said, I lived on the streets for six years. He was arrested like 220 times in Memphis. For public intoxication, whatever it might be. He became a drunk on Skid Row. He would live on the streets. He would cover himself up in a box car with cardboard. He said, I've seen it all. But he said... Uh, what happened one day? He said, I was up in Chicago and he said, uh, I, I wanted to go into the Pacific Garden Mission, but he said they were all full up. So he said, I went into Pacific Garden Mission. All I need is a bed. He said, no, buddy, we don't have any beds. We're all full up tonight. But he said, that man gave me 50 cents. And he said, you go buy a flop. Of course, he had to describe to us what a flop was because I don't know what a flop is. But he would say, a flop, he said, none of y'all know what a flop is. But everyone that was homeless and lived on the streets knew what a flop. He said, it was a big room with hundreds of beds in it. And he said, you could stay in that room, stay in that big room and sleep in a nice warm bed that night for 50 cents. But he said, I didn't go get a flop. He said, I went and took that 50 cents. He said, I went and bought me a bottle of cheap wine. I can still remember the name of the wine. He said, TKO wine. It's, he said it every time. He said, I went and bought me a cheap bottle of TKO wine. And he said, I crawled up in a box car. And he said, I could read the numbers on the, car, on the cars. And he said, I knew this one was going to Florida because I needed to get out of the winter. He said, I need to go down to the sunshine in the Florida. And he said, I crawled up in that box car wrapped up in some papers. And he said, I drunk myself drunk to sleep. He said, when I woke up, he said, I found out something. I read them numbers wrong. He said, I wasn't in Florida. He said, I went to Gary, Indiana. He said, the coldest place on the planet. He said, I stepped out from that. And he said, the first step I took out of that box car, he said, I looked down the street. And he said, there was a big old cross and said, Jesus saves across it. He said, oh, I tell you what, I know him's a bunch of Christians in there. He said, I'm going to go in there and take advantage of them Christians. He said, because I know I can ask them for anything they want. Anything I want, them Christians, oh, they're good. They're suckers. They'll give me anything I want. 
He said, I walked in there. He said, I stunk. He said, I smelled like urine. He said, I smelled like vomit. He said, I stunk. Hadn't had a bath in weeks. He said, I walked in there and he said, I looked at that gentleman. He said, I want you to know. He said, I need a bed. And he said, I'd love to have some soup. And that old boy looked at him. He said, sir, he said, we'll give you anything you want, but you got to stay for the preaching. Barney said, well, I've endured some preaching before. He said he walked in that room, sat down in that back row. He said, about that time, that old guy got up and started preaching. He said, it got so under conviction. He said, I got so, he said, I got so, he said, I got, it got so hard in there. He said, I'm telling you what, he said, that man started preaching to a woman at the well. And he said, he was telling that, telling us that Jesus knew who that woman was. And he said, I knew Jesus knew who I was. I wasn't hiding from anybody. He said, I got under such conviction. He said, I got up to leave. And he said, boy, there's one step ahead of me. He said, they'd unlock the door. He said, I couldn't get out. And he said, and I can still hear him. He's in heaven today. But Barney would look at us and he said, and I'm going to tell you. He said, I just went on down to that altar. He said, I gave my heart to Jesus. And he said, down on that altar, he said, I got to praying and crying. He said, that old preacher came down there that was preaching that night. He said, he put his arm around me. He said, I had that bottle of wine in my back pocket. And he said, he went and took that bottle of wine, threw it underneath the altar. He said, you won't be needing that anymore. Now, I'm going somewhere. Y'all hold tight. I just like telling that story because I think we need to hear it every once in a while. He said, about that time, he said, after I trusted Christ in that altar, he said, boy, I stood up. And he said, boy, I can still hear him saying now. He said, for the first time in my life, he said, I heard words that I wanted to hear since I was a kid. He said, that preacher put his arm around me and said, you're going to go home with me tonight. He said, I didn't realize what that meant, but he put me in a padded room, about 12 by 12 padded room. He said, I seen monkeys crawling up the wall. He said, I seen spiders. He said, I had to go through detox in that room. He said, it was one of the most miserable weeks of my life trying to get that alcohol out of my system. But he said, boy, after that, he said, all I had, here's what he said, that's what I'm getting to. He said, all I had in that room was he would slip some food and water in there to me. And he said, all I had with me was the Bible. And he said, I learned that's all I needed. He said a few days after that, he said, that man told me, you need to go off to a camp and just get alone with God. He said, you need to figure out and find out what you are. So he said, I went to a camp. He said, Brother Mark, I'm telling you right now, it was three weeks of nothing but reading the Bible, preaching the Bible, sleeping, eating, reading the Bible, hearing the Bible, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, reading the Bible, memorizing the Bible. And he said, after three weeks of that, he said, I come out of that camp. He said, here's one thing I learned. I knew I was going to be a Baptist. He said, the Bible changed my life in three weeks. Now, I say all that to say to you, you have it. I have it. It's powerful. Let's let it do its work in us. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. I believe I'd have to agree with Barney. Truthfully, all we would need is the Bible. Really? With head bowed and eyes closed tonight, can I just ask this question? Would you just be honest? How many of us have just taken our Bible for granted? Maybe we've only looked at it like a bunch of thou shalts and thou shalt nots, but we've, we've forgotten this. God's revealed himself to us in that Bible. He's revealed to us how to be saved in that Bible. One thing that I hope and pray will happen tonight is we will grow and have a greater appreciation. For the word of God. Could I ask this question tonight with your hand raised? If you feel it and you know it. How many of you want to have a deeper respect and appreciation for the word of God? 
Let's ask God to help us. Amen. Thank God for this book. She's going to begin to play something. I'm going to ask. Maybe tonight you have a special need. Maybe tonight you're dealing with something. What can I say? We have all the promises and the principles that God has given to us in the Word of God. Will sustain us. Will sustain us. Will help us. Will give victory to us. If we'll claim, like Brother Don, we sung earlier, every promise in the book is mine. Is it yours? Thank God for the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, your grace. And Lord, I pray tonight that you'll help us to have a deep respect, love, admiration, appreciation for your book. You've revealed yourself to us through these precious words. I pray you'll help us not to take it lightly. And Lord, I pray you'll help us to continue to dive into your word, study your word, grow from your word. I pray, Lord, you'll help us keep us consistent now. We ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people say it. Have a great night. Maybe before you leave, tell two or three people you appreciate them. Do you love them? Good to see all of you tonight. God bless.